networking is the cornerstone of what I do. Yeah. If you're not willing to go out there and build these relationships, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, and mm -hmm. for me, I like using social media to not only follow the people and the accounts and, and sort of follow the content that I'm interested in. I like being able to form connections with people by having conversations with them. There's always going to be people out there that do things differently than you and they may succeed on a certain level, but that doesn't mean that you won't get there. You know, right. um, I, I don't feel like I can live any other way yeah. because opportunity does not come to you. If you don't put yourself out there, no one's going to know what you can do and what you're capable of and what you have to offer and really into stuff that like just has a really good strong story and like you know the gameplay elements fit with that and everything and I love being able to kind of solve the puzzles and solve the crimes and stuff is sort of what I'm into. Have you seen the uh, the virtual like the sex robots? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that? I'm like that that stuff is getting rather extreme nowadays. I mean we're kind of going all in as a species, you know, with the whole virtual reality. Like whenever you have, you know, sex robots, I, I don't know. Are we losing ourselves here? It's a little bit. I mean, are we allowing machines and technology to kind of do everything for us? You know, is it getting to the point where like we really don't even have to chew our own food anymore? Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Cinema After Dark podcast. I'm Max Cole, the host and producer of this podcast and we are live here from sunny los angeles california the sun has set and the moonlight is now upon us I want to thank you so much for joining me on this broadcast tonight I want to remind all of you that you can listen to all the episodes of this podcast if you subscribe to us on itunes you can also find us on stitcher tune in and google play remember if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast Make sure you reach out to me via the contact form on our website there at cinemaafterdark.com. Just make sure you have some skin in the game, and by skin in the game, certainly need to have a few credits under your belt because we value that for credibility purposes. Also strongly encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Cinema After Dark. It's any way to find out about the latest show updates. I want to remind everyone that this is an information and discussion-based podcast. We do not censor ourselves, and we sure the hell do not censor our guests. So please keep in mind that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the host. We've got an excellent guest tonight, a woman by the name of Miss Lillian Sue. And uh, yeah, she's someone that I think is very resourceful. Let me tell you a little bit about Miss Sue. Lillian Sue is a marketing communications professional with 10 years of experience. She specializes in content development and blogging, copywriting, social media strategy, and PR campaigns. She has worked in a variety of industries, tourism, hospitality, food and beverage, lifestyle and sports and fitness, just to name a few. Lillian's experience and passion for film PR stems from projects such as her national and international PR campaign for CineCoop Film Accelerator Project Blackland and the campaign for actor Peter 
Dekuna for the Toronto International Film Festival. Lillian aims to continue working in publicity for short films and feature films and wants to develop PR strategies for web and TV. Now, this is a really interesting conversation here. Talk about a number of things, even video games, something we both enjoy. So this is that part of the show where I ask that you make that fresh batch of popcorn. Sit back, relax, and get comfortable while you listen to tonight's guest. We've got a really cool guest here tonight, and my gosh, Lillian, I I swear, like every single time I jump on Twitter, I see a tweet or some type of marketing by you or from you. I mean, you seem like someone that's literally on the cusp of everything that's going on with the uh, indie film community, and I, I like to bring on different types of guests on this show you know, folks that I, I feel are really involved and connected and are passionate about it. And you're certainly someone that, uh, you know, meets all those check marks. You are uh, pretty awesome. And well, first, let me just thank you for coming on the podcast here tonight. I have no idea how we connected via social media. I think I may have saw one of your tweets or maybe you were <laughs> listening to the show. I was curious about that, actually. Do you know? I mean, I'm curious. I honestly think it might have been you shared something that or that I thought was interesting or I think you liked something that that I was sort of piggybacking on on, on Twitter. I was reading it and I, I thought, you know, hey, like this is this is a podcast and, you know, doing what I do. I'm always looking for new non-traditional media outlets and journalists and bloggers and stuff to kind of connect with to see where everybody's at and what they're yeah. interested in and everything. Mm hmm mostly for, you know, uh, clients that I work with and everything. So I think that's kind of how it sort of came about. Ah, very fascinating. Well, let me give you an opportunity to sort of get our listeners up to speed here and give them some context. Would you mind sharing, you know, where you were born and raised and how you got started in this crazy thing we call the indie film community, the entertainment industry, oh, whatever you want to call it. Well, uh, I was born and raised just across the border here in, in Vancouver in Canada cool. um, as a first generation Chinese born Canadian. My parents immigrated over here very early on in their lives. So my brother and I were raised here in Vancouver. Nice. As for how I got into into film, you might not believe me, but honestly, it was by accident. Really? How so? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, because uh, I actually, I've only been involved in public relations for the last eh, almost just over three years now. Um, yeah. Prior to that, I was doing a lot more Marcom stuff. So oh. all having to do with writing, I was doing blogging, I was doing copywriting for print and digital pieces, websites. I was even dabbling in some like freelance magazine writing. Wow. And uh, I was actually looking to kind of round out my skill set in regards to content development and, and writing and everything. And at the time, I was actually living in a smaller city and, you know, preparing to move home 
And I said, well, you know, I don't really know the market back home anymore. Mm. You know, I got to get networking and everything. And, and, you know, let's, let's look about doing, doing some PR because that was something that I'd been interested in, in, in you know, for a while and didn't have a heck of a whole lot of experience with it. And in 2014, I ended up landing a PR internship with a firm that has uh, satellite offices in, in New York as well as LA. Mm, good stuff. My former boss had actually done quite a few different things. Like she used to do New York Fashion Week. She used to sell for Amway and stuff. She was actually uh, Barry Bonds' publicist for oh. eight years. Wow, nice. Good stuff. Yeah. That's and she had done a lot of like red carpet award show stuff and done a little bit of unit publicity for film and TV. Yeah. So I thought, you know, that that's sort of like, I, I've always been a creative person. The industries that I've always kind of lent myself towards have been creative. And I've always wanted to work in places that give me a chance to do a bunch of different things for clients in a bunch of different areas. That's fantastic. It's interesting. You have a lot of transferable skills. So it, it, it seems like that... Well, and, and I and imagine you were probably a, a super duper big film fan, aren't you? Yeah, you know, like I grew up primarily like my my family. Uh, we speak Cantonese, and primarily we we grew up uh, watching a lot of the martial arts films. So, like Bruce Lee, Donnie Yen, Jet Li. That's that's kind of my my family's lifeblood, and I'm the daughter sister, granddaughter, and cousin of lifelong martial arts practitioners. Wow. So that's kind of how like my love for film and action kind of got started. And and I had been wanting to kind of, you know, sort of dabble into that because my former boss had joined the union up here in Vancouver in an effort to kind of land the bigger projects. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. And as luck would have it, the horror film Blackland actually came to us because we had uh, a partner agency of ours didn't have time to take it on. Ah. So then, you know, my boss knew I wanted to, you know, maybe dabble in some film stuff. And then Blackline came across our desk through email and she said, you know, how about you take this on and, and see where it goes? Mm. So Blackland was a horror film done by a director named Shane Jones here in Vancouver. And they put it into what's known as the Cineku Film Accelerator here in Canada. Right, right. That's so basically, Cineku is a vehicle that has 120 films. They start off with that many to try and go through and, and they have them complete weekly missions to see if their films are marketable. Ah, I see. So all of these teams from all across Canada, like you had guys you know, from Toronto, you had guys from Calgary, you had guys from Vancouver... They would have to do things like shoot a film trailer, mock up a storyboard, do like an actual movie poster if you were actually releasing the film. And Blackland had gotten to out of 120 had moved into the top 30. Wow. And they got stuck because they said, we want to keep moving forward, but we don't understand the publicity side of it. You know, we don't know kind of how to get the word out about what we're doing. Ah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I hopped on board and for two weeks after writing the press release and sending it out, I basically blitzed. 
for them. I pitch them to everybody. I pitch them to like mainstream and online media uh, here in Canada. I got them interviews with um, a podcast in New Mexico, nice. interviews with like horror media outlets in, in the UK, coverage from guys in, in Houston, in Florida. So it was all over the place. And as a result of that, these guys actually went up from the top 30 into the top five. Oh, insane. And Wow. Their film got optioned for the development. Wow. Yeah. So, that is fantastic. That had to be a hell, of, was, this is a hell of an accomplishment. That had to be something that you're very proud of. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and it was, I mean, absolutely. And I had a lot of fun with it, too, you know, just, just being able to kind of talk to all these different media outlets that were, you know, non-traditional and more genre specific. And, and those guys were just really interested in the project and where it was going and where the guys wanted it to be, you know, wanted to go and all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Um, how did that, by the way, how did that manifest? You know, like, how does that process sort of manifest? Now say, and, and maybe we'll rewind a bit. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll have you answer that because there's something I want to ask you, too, in regards to the types of services that you do offer. But, you know, how did this particular project manifest? You know, kind of take us behind the scenes. Like, so, you know, as filmmakers reach out to you, how does that actually work, this whole process, just so that our listeners get an idea of how someone like you might be of uh, service? Well, it's really about drilling down to the bedrock of, of what their project is about. Like, yeah. you know, what's, what's the story, you know, that the filmmaker is working on? What's the story? What's the hook there? And, and then the other portion of it that's just as important is, is who's the filmmaker? All right. Mm -hmm. Like, who are you? Like, why would people care about interviewing you or giving your film coverage over say you know someone else's mm -hmm. so it's really about kind of drilling down to the important parts of information and then having an innate understanding because i actually have some experience working in a newsroom as well mm -hmm. not not as a, a journalist but i worked with a lot of journalists and reporters and news producers and all that and i've seen kind of how the process works and how basically they want to know three things. What is it? What do you want them to do with it? Yeah. And is there a deadline for what you want them to do with it? Right. And right. as long as you can kind of get that point across, it's about, for me, with dealing with the media, it's about having a, a mutual respect sort of thing, understanding that everybody's got tight schedules, everybody's got, you know, deadlines they have to meet. And in a lot of cases, it's not always up to them what they get to cover as far as the story goes. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So it's really about working with both sides to present the story and present the filmmaker in, in the best light possible, or I as see. I always put it, putting their best foot forward right. and just kind of letting the chips fall where they may. I never walk into a PR campaign having any kind of expectation on who I'm going to get coverage from. I see. Gotcha. Because... Any press is great press, and I typically enjoy casting my net a lot wider. The market here in Vancouver is really small mm. compared to a lot of other bigger cities, and I like being able to cast my net a little bit wider just to see what everyone else is interested in right. and, and being able to kind of get into conversations with different whether it's horror media outlets whether it's guys running a podcast on just kind of what they're interested in and what they usually cover
So then I can, you know, go back and go, okay, would this project be a fit to be featured on this outlet or this blog or, or this podcast? I see. Interesting. Now, one thing I've always wondered too is I imagine you are someone who is really, really savvy with uh, social media and that's got to be probably one of the best ways to find information and to find what podcasts, what resources to really target, right? Uh, it's probably the most affordable way, I would say, mm, of doing yeah. that in, in, in today's day and age. And, and for myself, being a marketing communications professional, I've always like networking is the cornerstone of what I do. Yeah. If you're not willing to go out there and build these relationships, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. And good point. Mm-hmm. for me, I like using social media to not only follow the people and the accounts and, and sort of follow the content that I'm interested in. I like being able to form connections with people by having conversations with them through it. There's a lot of people that will use social media more as like a numbers game because they think that, oh, if we have X number of followers, that means we're reaching more eyeballs or we're reaching more ears or what have you. And and for me, it's that works to a certain extent, but I personally and professionally gain a lot more out of building a relationship with someone through talking to them, say, on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook to really kind of get to know them. I agree with you totally on that. I also think that people make such a big deal out of numbers, and I would rather have really close, intimate relationships with a small amount of people than to have really no interaction at all with a large group of people. And I think, you know, it's all about the relationships, too. You know what I mean? So whether you mm-hmm. have, you know, 100 followers or 300 or five or 10, hell, I'll take five followers that really enjoy the show that, you know, I, I have conversations with or communicate with or I, I like their work or there's some type of relationship there that is uh, valuable uh, on both parts. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I really uh, completely hear what you're saying there. No doubt about that. And like you said, I think a lot of communications and PR is certainly about forming those relationships because you know people have got to trust the people that you're going to bring on and you've got to have some types of connections. I always think it's complicated for filmmakers particularly because, and then I think nowadays we're starting to become more savvy, but sometimes filmmakers are just struggling to get their film done and you mm-hmm. never know what's going to happen after that. I think some people are surprised at the success that their film is having. And others, you know, are are just kind of finding out that, you know, this whole post, you know, I'm done with the film situation is, is challenging because, you know, people don't have the budget sometimes to reach out or, like you said, know where to go to connect with people outside of social media and also know who to contact that can help them figure out who they may want to target to in terms of their audience even though when you create a film you kind of think about who your audience is going to be you know a lot of folks that's kind of where the buck stops there i guess for the lack of uh, better words and it's cool that you know individuals such as yourself are there to kind of help i guess grab their hand and then take them across the street when this particular type of you know venture it's it's um interesting now for you and i know this is something that I know you're interested in. You're available for short films, feature films, web series, TV series, right? I believe you cover a variety of different uh, 
platforms, right? Yeah, that's always uh, been my goal to sort of get experience and, and get knowledge and sort of increase my skill set on, on working on, you know, these kinds of different projects and to sort of add on to what you said about, you know, a lot of filmmakers not really understanding the, the marketing part of it. I've spoken to a lot of indie filmmakers, you know, within the last couple of weeks and, and a lot of them sort of look at it as, you know, I'm a content developer when it comes to the film part of it. I, mm. I, I understand that the marketing part of it is important, but I don't want to be the one doing it. Right. You know, gotcha. that, that's sort of been the, the general consensus that I've gotten is like, I don't want to be the one doing it because I want to focus on making the actual film i see you know yeah. they're like i i have no problem going out and talking about it but i don't want to be the person that's going out there and and setting all of that up to which i i completely understand yeah you know because the sorry to interrupt you but can a filmmaker succeed with that if they go in with that kind of philosophy like can you really hand over the keys to somebody else and have a successful you know post-release campaign really marketing campaign i think it really depends on the relationship that you're willing to build i mean it's yeah. I, for me personally certainly with the guys that i'm working with right now and and um uh film projects that i've worked with in the past nothing ever gets sent out without their say so you know i always make myself available in regards to, you know, if they have any concerns or questions about interviews coming up, I always make sure that, you know, everything is running smoothly for them. If, if need be, sometimes I'm on set to kind of coordinate oh, fantastic. things, things of that nature and just making sure that everybody kind of feels comfortable, feels good and kind of gets what it is that they need from each other. Right. So yeah. I really think that it comes down to sort of the relationship that you're willing to build with that particular client. And it's also an understanding that whatever strategy that I work with them to develop, that it's always going to have their input, you know, um, oh, there's never going to be a time where I would just kind of go off and, and do what I think is best without their input. I see. What would be kind of like your ideal client? and or ideal clients. I'm really curious about that. You know, where would that client need to be from just a, I think from a completion process too, as well. You know, do you want to talk to your clients prior to the release of a film, prior to when they even, you know, well, while they're developing the film, hell, you know, what would be the best way uh, to kind of reach out to you and what kind of clients are you, you know, kind of looking for? Well, I've been sort of on both ends of the spectrum. You know, I've hopped in to do publicity for film projects that are literally about to premiere in a couple weeks. Yeah. On the flip side of that, right now, for example, I'm involved with getting press for a bunch of different filmmaking teams during their production process. Oh, wow. Cool. And, Good. and I find that it's a lot easier in some ways for me to be able to do it while they're in the middle of the production process or pre-production so that we have it more of an idea of uh, what they're doing and where they're headed and, and, you know, all of that. Because what I've found through the guys that I've talked to and the people that I've worked with is that a lot of the general public on 
all of the different social media platforms really respond very well to a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Mm, right. So it's great to kind of hop in and help them run a, a production blog. It's great to kind of hop in and, and help them share a bunch of BTS photos or, yeah. or footage, that sort of thing that makes the media kind of sit up and, and take notice as mm-hmm. well. And it also, you know, if I'm in there before the film premieres, I actually get a chance to see the finished product for myself. So when, you know, production's done, I have a better understanding going forward of how to position that film. Ah, I see. Right. Or that project to, you know, whatever media outlet I I might be looking to pitch them to. I see. Because, uh, you know, there have been times in the past where I've kind of, you know, when I was a little bit greener on this spectrum, (laughs) you know, when I hopped in to kind of help out when a film was literally a week away from premiering like i knew what it was about to an extent but i didn't quite get the feel Mm, of the project or i didn't get a chance to watch a media screener for example before the premiere so Uh, i didn't really quite know at the time who i should really be you know i still pitch them and they still got coverage Gotcha. But there, there's a difference between getting them blanket coverage versus getting them more specific coverage, if mm. that makes sense. Well, yeah. Do you mind explaining that briefly? Because there may be some listeners that may not understand the, uh, what blanket coverage is, or they may not understand you know, the types of coverage that it's possible, uh, just generally speaking. And so uh, I'm kind of curious myself if you wouldn't mind uh, sort of sharing some, uh, some info on that, because I'm curious about that. Well, I mean, depending on the genre that a film falls under, in today's day and age, there's quite a few non-traditional media outlets. So your bloggers, your podcasters and that, that might just focus on, say, horror or sci-fi or, you know, suspense. Or there's guys out there that really love the film noir genre, for Mm, example. Yeah. So when you go into a project late, and, and sometimes that happens because... Oftentimes when I talk to uh, different filmmakers or they reach out to me and we start talking, it's not until we start getting into the nitty gritty of the conversation that I really know where they're at in the production process. I see. Right. And sometimes, you know, with scheduling and and all that, it, it does come out that, oh, well, they're literally done and ready to pull the trigger on releasing this. So if I don't get a chance to see the film beforehand and everything sometimes i just go for you know who since you're premiering locally who's regional and and who might be interested that covers arts and entertainment or that covers film good stuff right yeah instead of having that time Mm -hmm. and sort of that space and the scheduling to also build up interview opportunities with you know podcasters in miami who like horror films or what have you. So sometimes scheduling works against you in that, and you just, you just kind of have to roll with it. I see. Very interesting. Do you find it challenging to do this from a distance? Say you have clients that are in Los Angeles, for example, you know, how would that kind of experience work that whole interaction? You know, it's been, it's sometimes difficult in regards to making sure that everything lines up because of, you know, if, if there's a time difference, for example. Oh, time difference, but yeah. I, I, yeah, like I try mm-hmm. to make myself as, as available as possible on, on email, on Skype, on phone, 
on social media, whatever it is that they, they need to kind of, you know, if they have issues or, or were looking at scheduling a meeting, that sort of thing. After Blackland, actually, I had another project with a, a young actor who had two films premiering at the Toronto International Film Festival. Mm, yeah. And at the time, uh, we didn't have the budget to go to ground zero ourselves to help manage the red carpet and, you know, prep him before interviews in person, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. what I had to do was literally, you know, from three hours out, manage all of the media coverage and the pitches by email and then you know, touch base with an, with an associate that was already in Toronto for the film festival to help us manage the red carpet part of it. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. You know, like in, in an ideal world, I would love to be able to have that flexibility to go on location and go to, you know, film festivals and events and that if, if my client was one of their films were screening and everything, but right. you know, with indie film and everything, it's uh, it's difficult for most people to find the budget even just for marketing, right? So yeah. we we do the best we can with what we have. Oh, salute to that. It sounds like you're somebody who really wants to be involved as much as possible throughout the process. Well, you know, it's That's good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a you know, uh, if there's one thing that I love about film and and TV and uh, like I'm I'm a gamer as well when it comes oh, nice. to video games what? and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm a self-professed nerd and and totally proud of it. Love that. Nice, but uh, you know, it's I consider myself a, a professional storyteller. You yeah. know, and and what and so what I do is help people translate their stories into several different mediums. Yeah. Right. right. That, that's how I look at, at what I do. And if there's one thing that really attracts me to a project, it's it's the story. And then it's the people that are telling that story. Mm, yeah. There's been a ton of interesting things that I've seen come by me on Twitter that I, you know, try to help out even just sharing on Twitter and promoting to my own audience to help them get the word out because I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah, you've shared a bunch with me. I've many of them actually I haven't even responded to, but I can tell you that I've always checked out stuff you post. It's pretty fascinating stuff. So yeah, yeah. Please continue. I, I just wanted to tell you that even though I haven't responded, I have definitely checked out uh some of the stuff that you've been tweeting. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, it's there's a ton of amazing, hardworking people out there that deserve to kind of have their stories told and, and have that stuff distributed the right way, you know? Right. Especially since we live in an age where, unfortunately, Hollywood seems to have run out of ideas. So many reruns know? and repeats. Oh, God. And when I see like the indie film guys doing what they're doing with the stories that they have, I said, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. That's what the big guys should be doing. But it seems like because of red tape and wanting to, you know, wanting to increase their budgets and everything, they would rather throw original stories overboard. Right. For mm-hmm. The rest of the surface stuff. And for me, it's just, it's not worth it. I mean, yeah. Once I got a taste of the indie film stuff and I sort of looked at where my former boss was at with the union and realizing that you pay a couple grand in fees on an annual basis and you need to be a part of the union to work on union projects, but the union does nothing to promote you. 
and all of the Hollywood productions that come up north, that come to Vancouver, oftentimes will bring their own publicist from L.A. rather than hiring someone locally. I see. So I came to a, uh, Mm. a decision there. I said, well, first of all, I can't afford to pay a couple grand in fees on a yearly basis just to join the union. Yes. And, and second of all, I want to be able to work on the stuff that I find interesting and maybe make a little bit of money, but not have it be governed by politics. Gotcha. You know, I think that sometimes just limits you in so many different ways that it's unfortunate when it happens. Sometimes it's like so hard to do things in this world or or it's set up in a way that only certain people can do certain things and i think it's good that you know the indie film community is kind of breaking those boundaries for sure and that's you see that you know as filmmakers you see that you know as creatives actors just everybody i think involved pr i think there's a lot of people that are finding ways to do things that are or were kind of restricted to do unless you're in a certain type of area or you know certain people that's one thing I love about indie film is that, you know, the market's open and people are making things happen. So there's a lot to be uh, thankful for. How can folks get in touch with you and reach out to you about your services? And two, do you have like a, a certain type of payment structure? How exactly does that work? You know, do you get paid up front? I typically... What I do is, you know, people can go to my website or, or they can find me on Twitter and Instagram. And, and usually I'm, I'm pretty active on there. You know, I make a point of at least going on once a day just to kind of see what's going on, and what's interesting and whether there's like what's worth sharing in regards to film and the other things that I'm interested in. And usually when it comes to payment and that, I mean, I'm flexible, you know, right in the past I've, I've gotten paid in full when the project's done. Sometimes I take a, take sort of a a retainer fee for, you know, the first part of the project and, Mm -hmm. or a deposit rather. And sometimes it, you know, really depends on what the client's looking for and and what I feel like I can be flexible with. And and I really don't mind in that way, meeting people in the middle right, Mm -hmm. just so that we're both happy with the arrangement and and we uh, understand you know, what I'm going to be delivering and I understand what their their expectations are of, of where they want to go with projects and everything. So do you think there are guarantees? I've heard they're not. So I've always been curious. Guarantees in regards to marketing. finding work. Yeah, marketing, finding work and you know, just PR maybe generating buzz. <laughs> Honestly, Max, it's it's a crapshoot. Yeah. Really, you know, all you can do is I've never claimed to be an expert in, in what I do. Part of learning and, and growing in marketing and communications and, and in PR is understanding that there's always different ways of doing things. All right. Mm-hmm. And I'm always looking for people to talk to, people, you know, more senior people, people that have more experience in certain industries than I do and, and always floating ideas by them on how I should approach certain situations how I should go about, since I've never done a TV series before, how do I go about keeping, you know, if I was to get that opportunity, how do I go about keeping a show relevant for an entire season? Or like I said before, there's a lot of great projects out there in other markets that I've been following as well. So if I was, for example, to go to the UK Mm -hmm. to try and promote a film, Mm -hmm. 
you know, who do I know that has some experience over there that can kind of walk me through how the market's different over there, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. It's about understanding that I still have a lot to learn, you know, being humble enough to accept the fact that there's always going to be people out there that do things differently than you and they may succeed on a certain level, but that doesn't mean that you won't get there. You know, Um, I'm always trying to find new ways to kind of, you know, get inspired to continue to push myself forward. And a lot of that has to do with two things, a, how I was raised and b probably one of my biggest professional and personal influences would probably be my brother actually so how so that's fantastic well first of all there's a 13 year age gap between us so (laughs) yeah when uh when we talk to people and we joke around about this i always like to say that he he basically raised me wow cool i was actually just talking to him the day before valentine's day because i just turned 30 so oh, yeah we were reminiscing about i was like man has it really been like 13 years since you were 30 like where did the time go <laughs> and uh you know we were talking about just moving forward in business and yeah. you know he understands the struggles that i've had you know my motto has always been never say die yeah there's always another way of doing things, but there's times where I'll call them up and I'll be like, oh, you know, go, I'm, I'm so tired. Right, right. I'm exhausted, but right. like, I, I don't feel like I can live any other way Yeah. because opportunity does not come to you. If you don't put yourself out there, no one's going to know what you can do and what you're capable of and what you have to offer. And he understands that because he, well, he's, he lives in Seattle and he's a chiropractor. So he, he for a lot of years had to build his own business as well. Right. Neither one of us really truly set out to be entrepreneurs. I honestly started doing what I was doing because I wanted portfolio pieces to show prospective employers in order to land a full-time job. Right. Interesting. The full-time positions just weren't coming for me. Right. So you, you know, like, so you branded, you marketed yourself. You you find value in yourself, and uh, yeah, you uh, you dove in. I love that. I mean, honestly, if I waited for somebody to hand me an opportunity, I'd probably be dead five times over. <laughs> I'll, I'll say <laughs> that right now because it's just you know nobody ever comes to you, and it's not easy hearing the word no. It's not easy trying to push through adversity or trying to figure out where it is that you're going to go next. Like I wake up every day going, okay, yeah, what do I want to do today? And, right. and how am I going to get there? Who do I need to talk to? Who haven't I talked to that I should talk to? Mm, right, you right. Know, I think one of the biggest influences my brother actually turned me on to was watching Michael Jordan growing up. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not an an athlete by any means, but he influenced me as a, you know, lifelong Chicago Bulls fan, as a lifelong Michael Jordan fan. Wow. I actually just wrote a blog post about this on on the top eight inspirational ad campaigns. And there are times where when I get down and I find it hard to keep pushing forward, I will, I'll watch those ads again. Right. Michael Jordan's uh, Nike ad failure from uh 97 yeah yeah late 90s yeah that one i still like i was what i was 10 when that came out and that 
continues to influence me. That continues to kind of, I look at that and I'm like, I need to keep pushing forward. Sports in general, I think, especially good sports, good competition. Uh, there are a lot of stories of folks that kind of started as from nowhere and ended up somewhere. And I think film is very much like that too. It's cool that you are, you have like an indie filmmaker's, I don't know, energy and enthusiasm and work ethic. It's, I bet you can relate to a lot of folks and a lot of folks can relate to you. I think that's something that can't be really taught. You're either, you either have it or you don't. One thing I really think is unique about you too, is that you're a straight shooter. I could tell that online. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sugarcoat you. You get right to it. Uh, you do with a sense of humor, but you know, you, uh, it's cool. You're not really BSing people. If you're the real deal. And I personally, I appreciate people like that. So I just feel like, you know, you waste a lot of time if you end up presenting yourself as anything less than genuine, you know, in person, I may not be the most eloquent person alive. And, and I may not always, you know, be completely clinical or academic when, when dealing with business and what have you, but people, when they see me and they work with me, what, who I am is what they get. Um, I, I <laughs> just, I, I don't see a point in, in doing things differently. Yeah. You know, and when it comes to things like everybody who works in, in different industries, especially in film where there's a lot of, you know, high pressure situations, especially if you've got tight deadlines and everybody's dealing with trying to get to post production and everything, things can get hectic. Things can get ugly. Things can get, you know, just really stressful for everybody. Mm, right. And I just, I look at it and I'm just like, you know, hey, if you need me to do anything, like I'm here. But at the end of the day, I'm here to do my job. And my job is to make you look good the best way possible. So in order for me to do my job effectively, you have to let me know where you're at, not just mm -hmm. in the project, but emotionally and mentally, you know, can you handle another interview? If you can't do it right now, I will put it off, but you have to let me know. Very nice. A mm. lot of, you know, my academic background is in communications and a lot of what I do these days is predicated on having good communication. Right. Mm -hmm. I believe in always, you know, if I'm going to call somebody about something or text them about something, I'm going to have an email record as well. Right. Because, that way, if somebody comes back to you and goes, wait a minute, I didn't actually say that, you can show them the email record. Yeah, it's, For me, it's always important to have that kind of that kind of backup, but also be transparent right. with people. Mm -hmm. Let's take a short break if you want to hang out some more, because I want to ask you sure. some more personal questions. I want to give our listeners a little bit of, of an opportunity to kind of get to know you a bit better when you're not doing this whole you know, film thing. So I, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Let's take a short break and then, okay. uh, okay, cool. Cause yeah, I want to ask you some more questions. Pick your brain a bit here, miss. You mentioned a couple things here that struck a nerve with me. So, okay. <laughs> but in a good way though. So we'll, um, we'll take a short break here, folks, and then we'll come back with more of Miss Lillian Sue after this break. Do not go anywhere, folks. We will be right back.
welcome back to the Cinema After Dark podcast. My goodness, we are continuing a wonderful discussion with Miss Lillian Sue, and she's really allowed us to kind of jump into her world, and it's a world that I'm certainly not familiar with, so my mind has been kind of constipated here because I tell you, it's it's fascinating, this whole world of PR and marketing, and as a filmmaker, and I'm sure there's other filmmakers listening or actors, anyone that's listening in the industry, it's like, this stuff is, I don't know, it's just, it's a bit over my head. I'm still trying to understand it, which is why I like to bring experts on like yourself, people that are familiar with it, because I think it's hard to wrap your, your mind around what to do after, you know, these films are made. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, you're competing with so many different people and there's so many different, you know, platforms that I guess it can be somewhat daunting and also intimidating but i want to switch gears here a bit if you don't mind is that cool with you yeah absolutely okay because not video games here we got to talk about this miss you didn't tell me this <laughs> <laughs> my god so what types of games do you play and i know your brother had to influence that right because i used to game with my sister and i wish i still could because that's fun she was like a blast we used to play sports together all kinds of things but how did you get into gaming and what kind of games do you like well actually my uh my folks got me a super nintendo oh yeah in about 95 with a bunch of games so i have a uh, street fighter i've got super mario world i've got donkey kong so nice. i i lasted on that for quite a few years yeah didn't get another console because, well, my parents didn't want to buy me another one and I couldn't afford it, <laughs> right. to, you know, in, in high school and everything. But I met yeah. my best buddy, who's still my best buddy now when I was 15. Oh, my. He's a huge gamer, huge Nintendo nerd. Like, he's got all the platforms, all the consoles, and he's got, like, a ton of games. Oh, wow. For each console. So nice. he and I used to kind of get into conversations mostly about Nintendo stuff, but we really got into my brother was the one who got me into Doom on oh, PC. Nice. Yeah. So that was kind Classic. of my first foray game. into the whole FPS thing. But I, you know, I, for a lot of years, because I didn't have another console, I ended up playing a lot more PC games. So, you know, yeah. there was Doom. I, I've wasted a lot of hours playing Sims. Oh, yeah. Sims is crazy. Did you get like some of the advanced versions of Sims? It really started to take off over the years. Yeah, I actually just stuck with the like the first two kind of more basic ones. Yeah. So, Cause then I to like Roller Coaster Tycoon and <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome too. What's it. what's hilarious about that is my first first actual job as a teenager was as a sweeper. Yeah. Really? At, uh, at an um, uh, amusement park up here in Vancouver. That's actually how yeah. my best buddy and I met and uh, to play Roller Coaster Tycoon and then to see the sweepers <laughs> having to clean up. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Oh my! Yeah, and I'm just like, oh man, that's that's just like real life. But uh, <laughs> you know, so so that that's kind of where I was at for a lot of years. Other than renting, you know, play PlayStation One from Blockbuster every oh, me Christmas. Too. I remember that. Yeah, it's funny you say that. With, with a couple of games and everything, and then I met my husband almost nine years ago now, and he had a PS2 and then a PS3. Yeah. And then together, since then, we've both kind of been sort of navigating all the different genres, you know, doing a lot of, I love kind of like the action adventure stuff. Nice. Like Final Fantasy stuff or? Uh, more or? like Assassin's Creed is kind oh, of my big yeah. thing. yeah. Okay. Now you're talking. All right. <laughs> you know, so, so stuff like that yeah. stuff, you know, I love like murder mystery kind of stuff. Mm, Those yeah. 
games, anything having to do with, you know, solving crimes and everything. Actually just played through the film noir game, The Wolf Among Us from Yeah, I heard it how was it because i heard it was good oh it's awesome yeah i heard it's fantastic like the art style is just on point and like that's the other thing as a storyteller that really attracts me to good games is also the the story as well you know yep just kind of like i'm really into stuff that like just has a really good strong story and like you know the gameplay elements fit with that and everything and i love being able to kind of solve the puzzles and solve the crimes and stuff is sort of what i'm into Yeah, yeah like you know, my husband and I will get together with my best buddy and like literally sit for a couple hours and just have discussions about games. Oh my God. I would and, just love that. And franchises and where we think like the industry is going and stuff. And like, my yeah, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. It's an industry that like, I think probably one of the best professional conversations I ever had was like literally an hour and a half in a coffee shop with a guy who used to work for Blackbird Interactive here in Vancouver. So like they had the contracts with Microsoft and everything. Mm -hmm. And about 12 years ago, he left to help start an indie studio. So for an hour and a half, we just we did nothing but talk about the industry and talk about why the old way with the publishers versus the, the developer studios just doesn't work anymore. Right. Mm hmm. No, like one of the recent closures up here, uh, United Front that did the Sleeping Dogs game. Yeah, Sleeping Dogs games. It's funny you say that. Yeah, man, I, that broke my heart yeah, because brutal. Sleeping Dogs was like they nailed a lot of the voice acting. Yep. They nailed what Hong looks like. They yep. nailed you know sort of the culture that I've seen in regards to the Chinese triads and stuff. And I'm like, that's that's my people. Wow. That's my people. In that game, you know, like and yeah. and then and then they closed, and I'm just like, oh. Yeah. Like it always sucks when you see a great studio go under because you know that there's so many good stories left to tell. Right. Yep. But yep. they need the money to support that too. So Yeah, it's hard. It's interesting, you know, the way game development works nowadays and the deadlines and have you noticed that a lot of games aren't finished? This is my only issue with games nowadays because they rush sometimes to you know, get these games done and get them developed, get them out there, these releases without the beta testing that's really necessary to fix some of the bugs with these games. So now a days you can get a game early, but it's, it's sometimes beneficial to wait because maybe two or three months in, that's really when those first big patches start to arrive to fix some of the bugs. You know what I mean? Like there's no yeah. testing anymore. And I don't know if there ever really was. But I think nowadays, since games have gotten so much more comprehensive, it's probably really important. But, you know, these these guys and these girls are like under freaking deadlines to like make these games and to push it out to make those bonuses, you know, and then they come in for it. it, And and then also they also come in for like a certain amount of time and then they have to leave because I know a a bunch of, you know, game developers and folks that do like the creative art work for games and they're like, mm-hmm. man, we come in for projects. I have a really good friend. She does it. And she's like, I come in for a project. And then people don't know that you, they get kind of cool kind of bonuses if they finish at a certain time. The team finishes it at a certain project at a certain time. But then they're like, there's so many holes in the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they're off to the next job. You know, it's it's a struggle. But it's a good struggle. Yeah. It can pay really well, too. But it's... For a gamer fan and someone who, who you know, plays the games, it's definitely a quality control thing. 
Yeah. And I think that's where the big publishers like Microsoft, like one switch that I up until uh, I'd say about 2011, we really weren't seeing the rise of the indie game yet. Mm. And instead, we were seeing yeah. a lot more like of our favorite studios from my childhood, like Rare and stuff, guys that did Banjo-Kazooie and Conquer's Bad Fur Day and everything. Right. They were being absorbed by guys like Microsoft. Uh, and being forced to work on like connect games or sports games. And I'm like, well, that's kind of gross. Right. You know, right. like it, the, the original ideas, just they're not being allowed to work on those. And then out of that, you see a lot of smaller indie game studios kind of develop from the guys that got fed up with the way the big studios do things. Oh, good point. Right. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I met a guy from Ubisoft once. He used oh, to cool. work at Ubisoft Montreal and he said, when we were approaching a deadline, literally for three months, 24 hours a day, we ate, slept, and showered at the office. Yep. <laughs> He's like, yep. nobody went home, yep. and nobody ever gets paid OT for any of that either. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, man. Like, and then, like, and then still, when the game comes out, you might end up having a bunch of you know, game-breaking bugs and stuff. And mm -hmm. just even watching, like, I don't know if you've seen... Um, Indie game, the documentary. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, good stuff. Seeing Phil Fish lose his I mind. Oh, isn't it crazy? Like, like I, I understand though. I mean, what do you think? I mean, uh, like, I don't blame him, but yeah. it's also like, you know, there needs to kind of be, and I think a lot of filmmakers kind of struggle with this too. It's like, what's the framework? Oh, good point. Yeah. You know, because when, when you work for the big guys or you work for a developer that answers to the big publishers, mm -hmm. the framework's there for you. And oftentimes, in order to make that money, you have to make that deadline, even if the game's not ready. Oh, good point. So right. quality mm -hmm. suffers. Yep. yep. And the problem with quality suffering there is that the publisher doesn't see it as their problem. They're like, oh, yep. we didn't sell as many copies because of this. And it's the studio that takes the hit. And that's yep. why we keep losing so many good studios. And it just, it bothers me. Ah, this is good talking to you because you see, you get it. <laughs> I love talking to people that get gaming. So I could, I could tell you're a hardcore gamer. Nice. It drives me nuts because I'm just like, there's so many good stories out there that aren't being told yep. because publishers are just, they don't care. Yep. It's cool that you mentioned storyline when it comes to gaming because, you know, as a, I mean, I'm a gavid gamer myself. I love video games, even though it's hard to find the time to play them now. And they're so comprehensive that nowadays you really do have to spend a lot of time playing them because <laughs> there's a lot of features, which is great. But, you know, the time investments is necessary. Uh, so, but a lot of these games, the f best part of these games are the storylines and the complex uh, characters. And nowadays you're seeing a lot of actors and a lot of talent in video games. And a lot of actors that I speak to now are like either getting into the voiceover side of it or they're finding out how to get into the actual, like, becoming 3D, you know, rendered, you know, characters in a game. So it's, it's pretty fantastic. I think the, uh, the market's unique. What do you think about virtual reality now? Uh, I think, like, for me, the jury's still out a little bit on that stuff. Yeah. Primarily because I just, I'm not a fan of having to wear any kind of headgear. Yeah, me personally. too. It gives me a headache. So having to do it that way feels awkward to me. Mm -hmm. And yep. then the other part of it is, like, you know how tech is, right? The next big thing comes along and everybody kind of jumps on the bandwagon. And I just kind of remember how, like, 3D televisions crashed and burned really hard. Oh, yeah. just <laughs> You know? And, and it's uh, like... It's still on fire. 
<laughs> yeah. That so, whole market so, just died. Didn't even Yeah. Started. When it comes to VR, I mean, I can certainly understand where it would be beneficial for a lot of things, but I sort of question the limitations that it might have in regards to games and stuff. Like I was just in Iceland actually in October and their video game industry is all about VR mm, these right. days. Right. And it's kind of interesting to sort of see it come out of a country of like, you know, 400,000 people that yeah. they're just really into this and, you know, they're trying to make it work and trying to make the games more immersive. All oh, right. Mm -hmm. I would never say like, never say never for me trying it personally, but I'm not a huge fan of the whole headgear thing. Like I would yeah. like to figure out a way to sort of, expand it beyond that you know because for me being old school i like having a controller in my hand you know yeah, me too yeah it feels comfortable yeah and you get more control even though you're like i don't know it just works textile wise too you know there's something about the the way a controller feels in your hand and then also how you i don't know i, I can't get into like i wonder how i'll be like walking in a world a virtual reality world because i've tried that before it kind of gives me a headache a little bit you know because mm -hmm. it kind of makes you dizzy a bit but I don't know. It, it's it's bizarre. It's it's really bizarre. Have you seen the uh, the virtual reality, like the sex robots? <laughs> Have you seen that? I'm like that. That stuff is getting rather extreme nowadays. I mean, we're kind of going all in as a species, you know, with the whole virtual reality. Like whenever you have. Know, sex robots I, I don't know are we losing ourselves here it's a little bit i mean i think a lot of engineers and a lot of scientists would tell you that there's really no stone worth leaving unturned right. but i think at some point like you have to kind of i mean sci-fi is full of all of these you know gattaca is probably yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time that kind of illustrates that mm-hmm where it's like it doesn't matter how much you genetically engineer something yeah. or, you know, you do a test on Ethan Hawke's character and say that, oh, this guy's going to die of heart disease by the time he's 25 and it didn't happen. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. things like that where it's like, you know, we're not infallible as a species. We still make mistakes. Yeah, true. Are we allowing machines and technology to kind of do everything for us? You know, is it getting to the point where like we really don't even have to chew our own food anymore you know like what is the point like what are you actually doing this for yeah you know the artificial intelligence the ai is just is getting to be quite unique by the way back to gaming for a second because what do you think yeah. about the ai in video games nowadays it depends on the game there's still bugs that i've seen with games like uh you know because I, I watch my husband play a lot i play a lot where a lot of just the way that they program the NPCs. Yeah. Technically, the NPCs are supposed to help you out, right? Not make your job harder. Right. So, like, more more often than not, I'm just like, you know, get out of my way. Like, I'm trying to, you know, do this in the game, and the NPC's, like, standing in my way, and it's just not as responsive as I think you'd want it to be on, yeah. like, a real-life level, but... On the flip side of things, in the VR side, you know, I'm strapping on a headset saying I'm in the middle of a gunfight. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> in real life, I'm not actually holding a gun. You yeah. know what I mean? So it, it doesn't feel natural either. So I feel like they still, I mean, it's gotten a lot better with the, the actual AI and, and the NPCs and that, but I still feel like 
sometimes, depending on the studio, they have a, a lot to learn from just some of the more successful games on how to make an NPC not useless. Right. <laughs> Got you on that. Interesting. Would you rather play against the computer or do you rather have a person there? I'm honestly... A lot of games these days have a tendency to do... It's more so online multiplayer these days mm-hmm. as opposed to like when I was a kid most people had LAN parties and we just did local multiplayer. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of just the environment that a lot of people have kind of built for themselves in online arenas. Mm. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I'm kind of curious. So. Well, just even like playing through, like my husband used to do a lot of Call of Duty and oh, whenever yeah. he would play online, I'm like, turn off the headset. Yeah. Turn people, it off right now. You hear so You're much just, crap. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, what? Come on, man. Like, can we just play the game like civilized yep. people? Yep. Know, I, I've never been a fan of, of that part of it. And I and these days I tend to stay away from games that mostly focus on that because right. I'm just like, I, I just want to play the game. Yeah. You know, and I'm a completionist. So most of the time I want to play through the story and then I want to go and get all the collectibles and, and like get the trophies. Right. Me too. Like that's, that's funny. <laughs> like that's my thing. I don't, yeah. I don't really have a desire to compete against other people online to post high scores, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that it's the industry's changed so much. Like there's guys making money now mm-hmm. off these esports tournaments with like Dota and League of Legends and everything. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know, not really my thing. Like I play games to kind of go through the story and enjoy the story. And there's been times where the story and the lead characters that I'm playing as have been good enough for me to sort of overlook other things like combat issues. Oh, right. Yeah. Or bugs, that sort of thing. And, and right. that's the side of gaming that I would rather focus on, really. Oh, good deal. Very, very cool. God, I could talk about this all night. So I, I've already kept you a bit long there. I appreciate you, uh, you know, sticking over and kind of chatting this up. So much we could talk about in terms of gaming. Uh, you struck a nerve with me when you said that. <laughs> you have a favorite game? Anything that you're playing now that you know, you've been really enjoying? Uh, well, like I said, I just finished uh, The Wolf Among Us, which was really good. And, yeah. and I enjoyed kind of like the episodic format. I keep going back to sort of the earlier games in the Assassin's Creed series. So Mm -hmm. like AC2, Brotherhood, uh, Revelations 3, that sort of thing. Because what sucks me in there is a lot of the story elements. Soundtracks, I find, are are getting a bigger and bigger deal. Spectacular. Yeah. As well. Lots of times when I'm working, it's the music that keeps me sane and it keeps me grounded, you know? Oh, me too. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'll cycle through, you know, soundtracks from uh, Assassin's Creed 3 because I like sort of the colonial themes from it mm. or like Lord of the Rings. Or sometimes if I feel like I need to get pumped up, what's on my regular rotation right now is Mike Shinoda's band uh, Fort Minor. Oh, yeah. His 05 album, Rising Tide. Like I go through that at least once a day. Nice. Good stuff. Did you get juiced up before you came on? Yeah, a little. <laughs> You know, I had to ask. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I cycle through that stuff. Sometimes nice. I go a little old school and I go nice. do ways to men, pull up some stuff from my brother's high school days with uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff. Oh, and yeah. The and a Fresh Prince. You know? Gosh, that was some good stuff back then, wasn't there? Some good music. Oh, yeah. I do uh. go real old school, naughty by nature. Yep. And yeah, like, you oh, know, some, depends on the kind of mood I'm in. But it's like 
music keeps me sane, man. Yeah. Like, you know, work is kind of all over the place or, you know, right. I'm sort of in, in, the, in a bit of a lull and kind of waiting on, on people to get back to me. It's, it's kind of the music that sort of keeps me going. And uh, it's the same for when I hit the gym too for a break. It's, yeah. it's the music, you know? Oh, I love that. My God. Very cool stuff. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Music, soundtracks, scores, you know, gaming, the whole thing. I mean, everything's just getting bigger and better. It's it's fantastic, you know, the world we live in now, especially from a storytelling standpoint. I'll say that. And you know what, Lillian, I got to do something here to you that I do to all of my guests. And I really hate to do this to you. I mean, you've stayed over, but, you know, it's it's one of these things that I've got to do to you. And I cannot promise that the... Well, I can't promise that it'll be like a gaming experience. I can't promise this will be fun, but I'm going to okay. give you, I'm going to give, but I'm going to give you an opportunity. I, it's the, the one thing that I will extend because you've been so kind is an opportunity to opt out of this or to dive right in. I mean, it's up to you. Ah, let's dive right in. Why not? Oh my goodness. You just want to dive right in. Ah, <laughs> my, 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 ah, I kind of knew you would do that too. I just kind of knew you would do that. All right. Well, <laughs> now, Lillian, this is the part of the show where I ask our guests to share a fun fact about themselves. Now, this fun fact has to be something that people don't know about you. So your husband may not know, shouldn't know this fun fact. You should be listening to this and be like, huh, I didn't know that about you pressure on you there and uh yeah i'm gonna ask that you share that fun fact with us and put the spotlight on you a fun fact uh <laughs> all right well when i was in high school i used to be real obsessed with going to uh uh checking out the Canucks after practice and, and getting autographs. Nice! I actually managed to get quite a few just from waiting for the guys coming out for practice. It sort of helped desensitize me to um, celebrity. Right. You know, just not not fangirl thing. I mean, they're just regular people. I'm just a regular person and you just kind of talk to them as normal right so yep. i used to go down and, and go grab quite a few autographs and at one point i was sort of curious because uh in the group of people that i was with waiting for autographs it was a group of girls that had apparently been there twice a week for months <laughs> enough enough so that they knew like whose car oh, was right. whose based on their license plate mm -hmm. so i'm like mm -hmm. oh, that's a little it's <laughs> but I sort of got curious. I thought, okay, well, um, how about I try this since they're so, you know, they're so into this and they know who's who and all that stuff. Let's see, since these guys live here and, and this was the early 2000s and people were still using the phone book, I said, how about I try looking up if I can find one of these guys in the phone book? Oh, my. Were you able to? Like, what happened after the autographs? Because here's the thing. I used to be a, a big time autograph seeker so you're resonating here you're, you're striking a nerve i used to do the same exact thing hockey baseball all the time those were like the two sports when i was younger i used to always go and same age too like i used to love that so i'm a pen i'm from pittsburgh so you know the pens were like super yeah. great back then lemieux yager it was like a just awesome going to all those games kevin stevens i can go back through and 
oh god i could talk about that all day and i loved getting <laughs> autographs but i'm mad at you because you know why because the ladies you all would get all the autographs like they would the players would always come to the females and the guys would just be sitting there salty sometimes <laughs> and always the big names too you know oh jeez. <laughs> that's uh. hilarious but um what was yeah it like? so yeah. i yeah i thought i'm like hey let's look up uh one of the guys in the phone book I, oh so my. i literally started looking up i didn't actually see it through you know entirely but i actually dialed a couple of the numbers <laughs> and uh. then i hung up before they they could answer because i'm like oh man i could get in trouble for this right, but, right. you know it, uh. it was kind of like out of out of curiosity back in those days and yeah. just to kind of, you know see if it was possible i guess right and it was crazy because back then it was possible nowadays you can't do anything like that the world's much more it's funny because it's much more public but then it's still very private Especially from a so a certain standpoint, yeah, it just depends. It just depends. But people are uh, either really easy to get in contact with because you can literally send someone a tweet now and communicate with them. Whereas before, you know, you had to kind of find their contact information or them to get in touch with them. But then again, certain I don't know, certain lines are kind of hard to cross nowadays. So yeah, it's it's one of those you know things where I sort of got a little bit just kind of desensitized to the whole celebrity thing and just not, nice. you know, I mean, actually, this is funny. When I was still an intern with the pre-art firm that I was working at previously, we were doing uh, an LA premiere actually for Steve Nash's documentary film. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, you know, my boss and our partner agency was actually, you know, going to go down to LA and, and run all the red carpet stuff and everything. Nice. And my boss had put me in charge of, you know, inviting certain people to the actual event. So I literally hopped on the phone and started dialing, you know, major publicists <laughs> in New York and everything. Uh, and this was when I was still a rookie to the PR game. I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and my hands were shaking when I literally phoned up Will Smith's publicist oh in New my. York. And I know, nice. <laughs> you know, Mr. Smith being Los Angeles at this time, would you be interested in attending the, you know, the documentary premiere of, wow. you know, for Steve Nash and everything? It was actually at the, I'm looking at the invite right now, actually. It was oh, at the crazy. landmark theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a popular theory. It's one of my favorites. Cool. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, yeah. you know, that that was like, for me, that was ballsy. Wow. And I walked away from that going like, on a professional level, if I could call up Will Smith's publicist and, they, and extend him an invite, you know, Will Smith, who I grew up watching on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air yeah. and listening to his music, everything I said, if I could do that and not pass out, come at me, like literally throw anything at me professionally, right. I'll go and do it fascinating god i'm gonna have to bring you back on this show because i gotta talk to you about <laughs> autographs we gotta talk some more about gaming i want to talk to you about movies and things like that that you're interested into as well shows you know so we're gonna have to certainly bring you back in the future if you're up for it okay oh yeah absolutely like this this has been fun you good know stuff cool good good you've uh give me so much to ask you here i'm so curious about so many different things but i know we're up uh, you know, approaching into this podcast. And, you know, before we wrap, I, I kind of want to give you an opportunity here to plug anything that you would like, you know, websites, Twitter. How do you prefer, you know, people getting in touch with you, email? What's the best method of uh, getting in touch with you? Uh, I think the easiest way that I check the most often is to find me on Twitter, LSU23. Nice. 
Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm on there every day. I, I definitely get notified if someone's following me or someone wants to send me a message, that sort of thing. And then once you find me on Twitter, you know, my website's there. You can take a look at what I've been up to or, you know, some of the blog posts I've had up about unit publicity and, and other things that inspire me, that sort of thing. Basically, Twitter is probably the thing that I'm most active on. But for people that want to find me on Instagram, I'm there as well. My handle there is lsu30 so oh, good stuff by the way is the 23 yeah. on your twitter is that from jordan <laughs> actually you know what that wasn't intentional when i chose it oh, but okay. uh, you know <laughs> given that i am a huge mj fan i mean it fits right yeah yes <laughs> thought i'd take a stab in the dark there at that but my gosh it has been such a treat having you on the program and you know sharing your story with our listeners and also you know, the services that you offer and that talking a little bit of gaming there we've I definitely got to bring you back here. There's so much more that I want to ask you. But before we wrap, is there any advice that you would like to share with someone that might be listening to this podcast and maybe they want to do what you're doing right now? Maybe they don't have the courage. Maybe they don't have the resources. Is there any advice you would give that individual? Well, I'll, I'll say this. I started out literally 10 years ago, cold calling and cold emailing people. Yeah. It's not fun to hear the word no. It's not fun to hear that people aren't interested in, in what you're trying to do. But there's always a, a way to kind of get your foot in the door. Just stay persistent. Persevere through it. Don't be afraid to talk to people. If you can't do the in-person thing right off the bat, try it by email. Try it over the phone or Skype. You know, If there's one thing that I've always tried to remember is that I wouldn't be here without the people that helped me out. So I'm always happy to kind of sit down with somebody and kind of steer them in the direction that they want to go, because I know that we're all just here to kind of do what we want to do. And, you know, we should be helping each other. Oh, absolutely. I love only, that. You know, the world's only so big. None of us would get to where we want to go without somebody helping us out. So really, like my biggest advice would just be like, you know, don't be afraid to kind of put yourself out there. And, you know, even if it's through volunteer work, I mean, my first writing gig, I was a relationship call. Right. I was 19 years old. What did I know? Yeah. But I figured it came up. I said, hey, why not try this? And then that that led to, you know, a few other things. And then once you start getting into a rhythm with the projects and everything, you might start getting referred to right. other people and, and what have you. So, it, you know, it, it can only build from there. I just think that taking the first step is the hardest thing, but it's, you know, really sitting down and asking yourself, what do I want to do? And who can I go to? Who can I look up on LinkedIn or whether you know them or not that might be able to point me in the, the right direction on where I should be going? Because I, there are weeks where I ask four or five different people that on a daily basis, what should I be doing differently? Who should I be talking to? Do you have any recommendations on how I should approach a certain project? Because that's how you learn at the end of the day. I love that. My God, is that great advice, Lillian? You know, it has been a just a pleasure having you on this podcast. And yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna get you back here soon, okay, Miss? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, no problem. God, definitely. Okay, good, good. And uh, God, I think it's time for us to fade out here. What do you think? Woo, 
yeah, all right. Otherwise, we might be at it all night. I know. Seriously. <laughs> my goodness. What a great discussion this has been. And gosh, folks, follow her on Twitter. Stalk her timeline <laughs> because I tell you one thing. She is the real deal. Somebody that I feel is really in tune with what's going on in the independent film community. And God, I just found out that she's a gamer, too. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm going to have to stock your timeline myself even more now. <laughs> but uh, it's been a treat having you on the program. And folks, again, check out Miss Lillian Sue. Check out her Twitter account at LSue23. Follow her. Take a look at her website. Just reach out to her. Send her a tweet. Tell her that you uh, heard her on this podcast. And uh, she'll put you in the right direction, especially if you've got you know a PR campaign or need to talk about a certain media strategy or I don't know, maybe chat games. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> now you're going to get all these <laughs> tweets. <laughs> Make sure you tune into uh, what she's got going on. And uh, yeah, let's fade out here. What do you think? If we have to. <laughs> all righty. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Lillian Sue. Again, follow her folks. And we will be back with more after this break. You are listening to the Cinema After Dark podcast. My name is Max Cole, and I host this show, and hopefully you are feeling inspired. It's been a wonderful time tonight. I want to remind everyone that you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe to us there. Greatly appreciate that. Obviously, please spread the word about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Cinema After Dark. Again, thank you all for listening, and we will be back with more shortly. And welcome back to the Cinema After Dark podcast. Before we wrap, I want to thank our guest again tonight, Miss Lillian Sue. A great discussion that was. Most importantly, I want to thank all of you for tuning in tonight. Obviously, this show does not exist without you listening, so please continue to spread the word about this podcast. I greatly 